I've heard people say that when people disclose to them, it makes them feel even more connected because they have to have a certain level of trust and vulnerability there that comes with disclosing having a positive STI. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode four of Focus Fridays. We're Finn and Emma, and if you're new to the show and just tuning in, we typically talk to people and have them tell their stories in non-monogamy. This is not one of those episodes. This is focused on a topic. If you're looking for the other nine parts to this series, uh, the previous three are already published and you can find them in your podcast player. The other alternative is you can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, click on the courses tab, and it will take you to a link that will allow you to download all 10 of them at once for free if you'd like, or you have the option to leave a donation, whatever makes you feel good. We appreciate any support that you're willing to give. And with that, we will tell you a little bit more about this Courtney. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Our guest today is Courtney Brame. He is the founder of Something Positive for Positive People, which is a podcast where he interviews people who have been diagnosed with an STI. It is also recently designated as a 501c3 nonprofit, and so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, he's also a spokesperson for the website datingpositives.com. And he's going to tell a little bit about his story, and it's amazing, and it's super awesome that he has recently formed the nonprofit. So if you can, check out his website. There will be links in the show notes, and maybe do a little donation. You can also get some cool shirts. He's got cool shirts. Yes, he does. So thank you to Courtney for sharing uh, everything and for the work you do, and we're super excited to bring you guys this interview, and we will see you on the other side. Let's go. So welcome, Courtney. Thanks for, for joining us today and coming on. We reached out to you a couple of weeks ago, and we're super excited to sort of have this new partnership with you because you've got some awesome content and an awesome podcast and and a recently formed 501c3 that, that you've got going. So we're super excited to promote all of that and and get your your story out there and, and help the community. So do you mind sharing with everybody a little bit about who you are and fill in all the gaps that I just left. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of gaps. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, my name's Courtney Brame. I'm a spokesperson for datingpositives.com and the founder of Something Positive for Positive People. I started Something Positive for Positive People as a podcast, interviewing people who primarily were living with herpes about their experience. I've more recently registered as a 501c3 nonprofit in order to be able to get funding and take donations in order to expand on the usefulness of the podcast. People find it weird that I interview people with herpes, but this was something that turned out to actually be very needed. I've been living with herpes for a little bit over seven years now. And when I began to come in contact with more people who were living with herpes, I began to notice that 
there were people who wanted to kill themselves after their diagnosis, like a positive herpes diagnosis. The stigma was just so prevalent that people were just depressed and talked about suicide ideation and this was on public blogs and forums so it was all written out on social media pages i tried to touch base with the people and be like hey you know it's not really that bad you know this is just kind of what it is and it turned into me beginning to see that there was a disconnect between some of the people. So I'm a 31 now year old black man, and we've got all kinds of different people from different walks of life who are saying they want to kill themselves. So I wanted to give people something that could be more relatable to their own experience. So I just reached out to one of the communities that I'm a part of and made a post asking if anyone would be open to sharing their experience living with herpes. And in doing so, uh, my first guest, her name's Amy. She was a 40-ish year old white woman. She was diagnosed with herpes after her husband cheated on her. And we talked about that experience and what went on, how she did everything right and just ended up with herpes after being cheated on by her husband. So uh, throughout that episode, there was a there was like a, a shift in emotions from the beginning. There was a little bit of discomfort and awkwardness, of course. But once we got into it, I mean, we we got sad. We cried a little bit. We laughed. We got angry. But by the end of it, her being able to have this conversation, like I felt the lightness of her while uh, we were in my car and recorded. If you go listen to that episode, it sounds terrible. It's the first one. Uh, <laughs> but just having that feeling and then being able to share that unique story really goes against the grain of what we believe about a person who has herpes. So we hear that a person with herpes may be dirty or disgusting, or they're not careful with partners. They have a lot of sexual partners. And here we have an example of someone who just completely goes against that. So what I did with her story was consensually, of course, begin to share it directly with the people who expressed wanting to commit suicide. I'd send it to them via direct message on any social platform, or I'd have to get an email address. And as you can imagine, sending this kind of thing to an email address, uh, it's really easy to miss a number or a letter, get kickbacks, and then having to reconnect with the people. So after that became really unnecessarily tedious, I uploaded the audio to YouTube. And after uploading it on YouTube, I don't remember how much time passed, but a lot we got a lot of views after it was uploaded. When I say a lot, I mean like 300. So to me, that's a lot, especially given that this is only audio on a video format. So looking at that, I'm like, well, how do I watch YouTube? I'm usually on there. My phone goes off. I send a text message. I make a phone call. I forget about the video. So I wanted to make it to where people were able to access it and be able to with ease, listen through the entire thing. So I've worked at a podcast advertising agency. So I was very familiar with podcasting. So it was easy for me to decide, oh, how about I just pay for a podcast subscription feed and begin to upload the audio there. So by this time, I've already had people reaching out to me saying that they also wanted to share their stories. And I began to get more and more of these experiences. And then it expanded out to 
people who are living with HPV, HIV, who've had experiences with chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. And I've interviewed someone who's living with AIDS. And I've also expanded that out more to be something beyond useful to just people who are living with herpes. So I've brought on sexuality experts, uh, physicians, people who can talk through the virus and the statistics, because I, I shy away from statistics altogether because the information is just really inconsistent. There's nowhere that, you know, you can see consistent language, numbers, the types of herpes are often used interchangeably, or there's not enough details there. So primarily what people are looking at is HSV-1, which is herpes simplex virus type 1, and they primarily associate that with oral herpes or cold sores. And then HSV-2 is primarily genital, and that's associated with genital herpes. But what people often fail to realize is that you can pass HSV-1 on genitally and HSV-2 orally. So when we see a lot of the language there, it's oral HSV or genital HSV, or they label HSV2, and they're talking about it in a way where it's only genital herpes, or they say cold sores, and they're talking about it like it's only oral herpes. So the, the language gets really confusing. So I bring on people who are qualified to talk through that as well. And um, a lot of the conversations are really based around people's experience with their diagnosis and then dating, disclosing how their relationships with uh, sexuality began to change afterwards. And then we talk about their healing process. An SCD diagnosis is a traumatic event. And oftentimes people are forced to really sit back and deal with that event. And there's other things that kind of surface up as well. I've interviewed someone who had a terrible relationship with her father. And after her diagnosis, beginning to go through the healing process of treating her emotions around her diagnosis also led to her revisiting her relationship with her father. And this led to so many other the awareness of other things that also needed to be healed in the process. So through all these kinds of interviews and uploading this information, people have been able to have access to information that can help them in their dating lives with disclosing and going through their own process of healing as well. Right. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I guess, do you mind maybe talking about like from your, from your personal experience, like when, when you were diagnosed, like, what did you go through personally in terms of learning about it or figuring out what that meant for you moving forward? Because, I mean, spo spoiler alert, you're not like wasting away. You're a, 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 you look like a very healthy person. I know you run a gym or you work at a gym and you, you're a trainer. So it's not like your life didn't end, right? Right. Shameless plug, giving 100, St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am 31 years old. I'm fairly active. I've always been active. I've played football since I was 13 years old, played through uh, middle school, high school, and college all four years. And it was right after, actually, I finished playing football. I graduated from college, and I got my first full-time job in media. So I moved back home to St. Louis, Missouri. I lived with my grandmother for a while. And there was a morning where I woke up. It was a morning in August of 2012. I had, 
it was a Saturday. I woke up and I had body aches. I was really cold and I didn't want to get out of the bed. I just kind of kept the covers on me. And then when I finally got up to go to the restroom, I went to take a piss and I looked down at my dick and I shit you not, it looked like the surface of an asteroid, you know, like how it's all rocky. Like that's the best way for me to describe it. So this was on the upper right portion of my scrotum. And when you feel it, like that's what it felt like. So I remember screaming, I went, what the fuck? Really loud in my grandmother's apartment and my grandmother <laughs> just uh, I, I laugh to, but I can imagine what your grandmother response oh, was <laughs> well my grandmother so we, we we're very close uh my grandmother and I we were living together so anything she was very intuitive to my emotions so me saying what the fuck was probably a reaction she'd never heard before so she knew something had to have been wrong so you hear a knock on the door and say Corey you okay and uh, my mom just so happened to have also been over and I was like we need to go to the doctor. I need to go to the doctor right now. So my mom drives me to an urgent care facility, which is just basically like an, an immediate instant access, like medical care facility that you can get into. I go, I'm sitting in the waiting room and, you know, I know it's an STD. So it's like, which one is it? Can I get rid of it? Whatever. I go into the physician's office and he sits me down. He takes a look at it. I remember I was given uh, medication for if I was exposed to any of the treatable, curable STIs. He tested me, looked at it and goes, yep, that's herpes. Here's a pamphlet. He said, gave me the pamphlet, wrote me a prescription for valcyclovir and sent me on my way. I remember when I was leaving, I was heading back home. My thoughts initially were, oh my God, who else did I give this to? At that point in time, I know a lot of people that I've spoken with, their immediate concern is where did I get this from? I didn't have a lot of sexual partners over the course of, I guess, that six-month period. Uh, so I knew, okay, it had to be one of these three, four people. So I reached out to them and just asked, like, hey, I don't know if you have herpes or not, but I do. The message was different to each one of them, but um, basically the same thing. I have herpes. Do you? And all of them said they didn't have it. So I was just kind of left with this uh, finger just pointing at myself. I was happy that I hadn't given it to anyone else. And at the same time, I was still a little bit disappointed that I didn't know where it came from. So I was left with just having to figure this out on my own. So I had my pamphlet of statistics. Um, I think what it said there was like one in four people had genital herpes. And here again, going back to the terminology, I was diagnosed with genital HSV2. And the language on the pamphlet said <laughs> genital herpes, oral herpes. And it was like one in four, one in five. And the language was just really all over the place. And it was not comforting for me at all. So given my background in working in media, I knew, okay, if I'm going to Google anything, I probably don't just want to Google herpes. So <laughs> especially you don't want to go to images, right? <laughs> right. You don't. Oh my God. Those are the worst. And I remember images from even sex ed in elementary school on what that looked like. And it just, oh, it was, it looked exactly like one of those images. So, um, I, search how to manage herpes and i saw exercise nutrition stress management these were the three most common things that came up and something that 
didn't hit me until hindsight way later was that I've been so active all these years. And as soon as I stopped being active, that's when I had this outbreak. So side story, I went and got tested. I think it was a year or two years before I was diagnosed. I went and got tested for herpes because I had a lesion in roughly the same area on my penis. And I went into the school nurse. She looked at it and just told me that I looked like I had been really, really busy. And at this point in time, I was on a drought. I don't know if you know what a drought is, but a drought is like where you're not sexually active with another person for a while. And I wasn't sexually active for, I think it was, it got up to seven months. So I was masturbating a lot. And that's what that ended up being. It was just like friction. So she told me, you don't, it's not an STD. You just have friction. So I didn't believe her. I went and got a herpes test done at an AnyLab test results place. I don't remember if that's what the full name of it was, but it was called AnyLab. And my results came back negative. But what I will say I noticed is that there was a presence of antibodies that test screens for herpes antibodies. So you have to test above a certain amount in order to be positive. I had a presence of antibodies, meaning that at some point I was exposed to herpes, but it wasn't enough for me to have tested positive. I don't know if it's something that over time just begins to grow and develop, or if it's something where you need repeat exposure to the virus in order for it to, uh, for the antibodies to replicate themselves. I am looking to have this question answered. So if y'all know anybody, please reach out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I go through, I figure out what I need to do. I need to just take care of myself because I completely stopped working out. And I believe that my lack of activity and then living with my grandmother. And of course you can imagine how you, you get that home cooked meals all the time that usually a lot of fried juiciness and butter. (laughs) So I was eating like that often. And so I took the medication. It gave me six pills. I was supposed to take two a day, six hours apart for three days. And that lesion I had cleared right up and it looked normal. My biggest concern was that that was just what was going to always be there. I thought that I would have this asteroid dick and the pills made it go away after a few days. So that was when I learned about what outbreaks were. So having the understanding that it wasn't going to always look like that made it easier for me going through that process. My first disclosure just happened to have been my first disclosure to a new partner. Let me say that just happened to be to someone who had a relative who also had genital HSV two. So she knew kind of what that meant, what was going on. She had someone to talk to about it as well to get a better understanding. She and I dated, we dated for a little while and ended up not working out for a number of reasons. And I ended up just kind of going back into a past relationship where we just made the assumption that, oh, well, we both have it. This is easy. Let's do it. Went into that relationship. It didn't work out. (laughs) And then I was like, oh, fuck, now I have to start telling people this. Like, it was already hard for me to tell the first person, and it was hard for me to even disclose to the people that I thought might have exposed me to herpes. So here I am now, 
having to date and have this conversation. And it was just so like heart wrenching to even. And at this point you hadn't had any other outbreaks, right? At this point, no. Um, by that point, and I've, I've been through some stressful situations. I can count maybe two or three other times. I got fired from a job and I was living on my own. I quit a job and moved back home. I think those were two times where I was beginning to experience an outbreak. So if I'm feeling there's this tingling sensation, I equate with like a preview of an outbreak coming on. And if I have that, I just take the medication. There's no questions asked. It's like the way that I describe it is like the sensation you get immediately after an itch when you scratch it. So there's like that sense of relief, but you know, something's happening there. And that's when I know, okay, I need to take my medication between the time of, um, during that time frame, maybe two, three, mild outbreaks coming on, but I was able to just take the medication and there was nothing there. Uh, do you have any questions at this point? Cause I'm just kind of rolling through here. No, no. <laughs> no I mean, I, I guess I wanted to just comment really quick on that. Like you, when you talk to your partners that you had had in that time leading up to it and they all said, no, we don't, we don't have anything. I mean, that, that may not have been true, right? What they may have been saying is we have no visible evidence right and so that's sort of what you were saying which is you had the antibodies present but you had no no idea that you had anything right because most of the time there's no visible evidence that there's anything wrong and they and i think that's very common right is that you may be a carrier for something and it's not it's not visible well and it shows that you can have something for many years without knowing it or without having any outbreaks or anything. Mm -hmm. And then another thing too, is that oftentimes I'll hear people say that they may have missed their initial outbreak with mistaking it with an ingrown hair or a razor bump, shaving bump, or a rash even, and just kind of brushing it off as having been one of those things. And then it just goes away. So now you don't necessarily know what an outbreak looks like. You may miss your first outbreak and not have another one for years or even, you know, the next time you have one, you'll be like, oh, there's that ingrown hair again. And it takes for someone else to have been exposed to herpes from you before you find out that you had it. And this creates this whole net of miscommunication because we just don't necessarily know. We don't know what to look for. We mistake the symptoms. And oftentimes people really just also, nobody wants that kind of news. And we just don't, we don't know to get tested for it either. Yeah, for sure. And it, and it sounds like you've, you found that just like some of the best ways for you to manage it are just stay healthy, exercise, eat right, and that, that when it usually comes up is when you're in a high stress situation. And basically when your immune system is, is compromised because of other things, right? But normally your body's able to suppress it and and you have no real symptoms or or even any evidence that anything is different than it was before you found out. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's important for people to know is that this isn't like you said, right? Your your life has largely gone on as it did before, other than now, it's the hard part, right? Is the stigma. Yeah. And 
I'm fortunate that I didn't really face any sort of stigmatization. The worst thing that happened to me, I would say, was when I disclosed to someone on Tinder. That was probably the worst disclosure I've had, where she mentioned something to me about having like really bad asthma. I was like, oh, well, we all struggle with our health conditions. I mean, just like that time I found out I had herpes. Haha. <laughs> Never heard from her again. <laughs> So that was the end of that conversation. But uh, the other disclosures had gone well. There were people who were just understanding. They were like, okay, well, what about, can we use condoms? Are you on medication? People are knowledgeable. I think that there's a kind of a metric there for how educated someone is in their own sexual health with experience as well. So the people who I asked about it and we had these kinds of conversations, these were people who were on top of their sexual health and were also more fun to have sex with because there's a sense of freedom in expressing your sexuality with someone who you can feel more safe with. So yes, I'm positive for herpes and my sexual partner knows that and is understanding that we're taking the necessary precautions. I've heard people say that when people disclose to them, it makes them feel even more connected because they have to have a certain level of trust and vulnerability there that comes with disclosing having a positive STI uh, staff. Well, and it, and, it, and it also, their reaction tells you a lot about who they are, right? If they, and, and if they freak out or if they shame you, then you've, you've saved yourself, mm-hmm. right, from that. And nobody wants an STI, so that initial reaction of being caught off guard is normal. And I don't want to shame anybody for having that gut-wrenching reaction. Sure. But I think sure. that we also should understand we need to learn and understand more about sexual health and our STI status and that there are some STIs that don't present symptoms and they just, you won't know you have them until you go and get tested for, and you can often miss the early signs of them. Yeah, for sure. What are, what are some of the things or some of the ways that you've found as you've been navigating this, like, you've probably tested out a whole bunch of different ways of disclosing this. What are, what are some of the, the better ones versus some of the ones that you found didn't, didn't work as well? Ooh, all right. I find that the one on Tinder was not a good way to do that it. was terrible. Yeah. So you don't want to just kind of sneak it in there at all. I think that it's important for people to really know how they feel about it. One of the exercises I've done is go and look myself in the mirror in the bathroom and say, I have herpes. And there's a pool of emotion that comes out of you that you're able, you can't escape. Like you're looking yourself in the eyes when you're saying this. So if you feel ashamed, if you feel embarrassed, if you think it's funny, (laughs) these are the kinds of things that will come up in your reaction. And that's often what you project from are onto the other person that you're disclosing to. So for me, what came up when I said I have herpes was a lot of just sadness and shame. Like, how did I let this happen? I wore condoms. I did what I was supposed to have done. This isn't supposed to happen to me. After that, I think I was able to really address the issue of thinking that this wasn't supposed to have happened to me and get the facts and the statistics, understanding that condoms don't prevent herpes transmissions. You can still be exposed to herpes. And I found peace in that. So when I was able to kind of get through the root of what my issue was, when I looked myself in the face and said, I have herpes, I was able to 
just clearly communicate to other people without that. I think that it took a lot of practice. I mentioned before that I'm a date or a spokesperson for datingpositives.com and being able to find online dating sites for people who are STI positive put me in the position to put that thinking factor of when do I disclose? How do I disclose? Should like at what point should I disclose? Having that out of my mind allowed for me to just be myself and engage in conversations with women I was attracted to just as me without that, because we can hold on to these thoughts in the back of our mind that really make us feel like we have to overcompensate in our personality to be someone we're not. And I notice now in hindsight that that showed up for me in my Tinder dates or my Bumble dates as well. I'd go out and meet up with people and find myself just trying to be more of something I think they want me to be, if that makes sense. So it's authenticity, being able to have a conversation with someone and see where you are aligned with one another. If you're uh, able to see that you want this to be like a one night thing, if you want it to be something long term or more casual, being able to communicate that and be like, well, hey, you know, I want you to know that I have genital HSV2. This was something that I wasn't given a choice with. I want to make sure that I'm giving you the choice as to whether or not you want to take the risk here. And then, you know, let them know like, hey, I this is what I see with us. I would like for us to be able to explore these things, whatever your intentions are in the relationship, give them all of that. And then just ask them what they think. And then you can go into when their last STI screening was. One thing people don't at all tend to um, allow into their range of perspective is Another person saying, me too, that's happened to me a couple of times where I've went through, I've gone through this whole pitch in my head about how I'm going to disclose to this person and what I'm going to say. And then it just comes out and I'm saying all this shit that's so well structured in my head. And they're just like, oh yeah, I have that too. And it's like, oh. Yeah. And again, I guess that one brings up the question. I would almost be like, well, were you, were you planning on telling me? But I guess it's right. When, when does that question come up? Right. Or when does that conversation come up? And somebody has to be the the, the one. one to break the ice. So it's, yeah. yeah. And that is a real concern. It's a real issue. I mean, there have been people, there are people who choose not to disclose and they think that taking the precautions of wearing condoms or taking medication eliminates the risk. It's not the case. It reduces the risk. And there's always a risk that's associated with transmitting herpes to a potential partner. And that has several other reasons that it happens. For instance, uh, the information that we receive from our medical providers about herpes is all across the board. So there's been a conversation I had with someone who went into the doctor and asked, hey, I would like to be tested for herpes. One of my partners has been exposed to it and said that I may have it. And the doctor goes, well, do you have any symptoms? He goes, no. He's like, oh, well, you're fine. Just use condoms. So that person who's been exposed to herpes has now been told by a reputable source that if he wears condoms, he doesn't have to worry about anything. So now he leaves. He just wears condoms, like his doctor said, and someone gets uh, diagnosed with herpes. And now this whole cycle continues again. There's more credibility, I would say, and being able to just say, I don't know. Um, that's what doctors need to be able to say. Like, hey, at this point, it's 
challenging to say, you know, when you got it, if you even have it at all, if you don't have any lesions or anything, like just being able to be transparent or to say, hey, we can figure this out together. Here's the latest information on herpes and what you can expect from the transmissions and how you can navigate disclosing, blah, blah, blah. But we just don't, we don't have that kind of transparency and honesty from many of our medical professionals. And this is coming from the interview that I've had with podcast guests and conversations that I've had privately. It's just, it's really across the board. Right. And you had mentioned that, you know, the condoms, of course, don't protect you from transmitting herpes, but they do, they can help mitigate or lower the risk. What other, do you have any other strategies for lowering the risk for transmission? Other than take your, taking your medication too, I guess. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure people would disagree with me, but when I had discordant partners who were HSV negative, what I would do is just make sure that I didn't have that sensation I told you about before we had sex. I would make sure to shower before we had sex, and I would always have her go and shower after. And two years after those that relationship um she hadn't tested positive for herpes um up until that point for me at least so this was something that i did with all of my sexual partners who were discordant up until that point that was i mean it it can also seem really stigmatizing i guess to think that it's like oh now i'm dirty so i'm gonna soap up and take a shower before i have sex every time but I mean, that's just good hygiene, too. Dude. I was going to say, I, I do that anyway. So. <laughs> it's very good hygiene. Yeah. But um, that and really, you just really have to know your body. I think that that was probably the biggest lesson that I've learned so far in terms of connecting with my body. It's just like, I know when I'm stressed now. I know when I need to make it to the gym. I know when I'm eating like shit and I need to take a break from that. Having this as more of like a radar, a compass even for, all right, Courtney, we got to move more into this direction because this event is stressing you out. How are we going to mitigate this stress? So it makes me look at things a different way. So I manage my stress. I manage my diet. and I manage my uh, working out and exercise schedule as well. Yeah, and I think so. something you touched on there, which I think shouldn't be overlooked, uh, is that you were with a partner for two years, potentially, you know, most likely having sex with them and did not transmit, right, the HSV2 to them. And and so, I mean, that's just, I guess, working towards that destigmatization that, yes, I have this, but you're not going to get it the first time that, that we're naked together and how, like, that's not how it works, right? And that you could potentially be with that partner for years and years and years. Yeah. And, and, and never transmit it. And, and I think what that even says on a deeper level is somebody who, who's been diagnosed and knows that they have this and is taking steps to prevent it is, is actually a much safer person to be with than somebody who has no idea that they have it, hasn't shown any symptoms and is largely just walking through the world thinking that they have nothing to worry about and are potentially Spreading, spreading this without even knowing it. Not that it's not it's their fault. Yeah, but that somebody who discloses and is doing everything they can to be safe is probably as safe or safer than somebody who has no idea. 
Thank you for wording it that way, too. Um, herpes is just a tricky virus, and you can be exposed to it from the first interaction. You cannot be exposed to it. Um, I mentioned the partner. The partner I was referencing was from two years ago. She was uh, HSV negative, and we hadn't been together. We were together for a few months, uh, casually, um, you know how that there's like a, a new relationship period where you're kind of mm-hmm. going at it like rabbits it was like that <laughs> and she reached out to me recently actually and let me know like she's with a new partner and that at some point they were exposed to hsv1 and 2 so she didn't get it from me she got it from another partner and she told me the story about where she really thinks it came from and it was kind of like a situation that you just mentioned where a partner isn't aware of their status um one thing that we are afraid of as a person speaking on behalf of people who are living with an SCI is when you disclose to someone and you ask them what their status is and they get very defensive. That was how she described the situation to me where they were like, what do you mean? You don't trust me? And that's, that was the interaction that she thinks may have exposed her to herpes. Wow. That's unfortunate, but I, I mean, think it's, it's the reality. Um, yeah. I appreciate being in a space where I'm able to have these kinds of conversations with people because we have this overall idea of what a person who's living with an SCI looks like, but it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the mold for so many different people living so many different types of lifestyles and right. having so many different ways of being. It just doesn't all fit that mold. And we need to change that. Yeah, well, that's that was the question I was going to say. Like, it it's un it's unfortunate that that happened and that that person had that reaction in terms of like, what you don't trust me and get really defensive, right? But really, what where that comes from is the the stigma and the shame around it. And I, I guess what are some things that you see that we can do as a society or as a community to help destigmatize this? Honestly, I believe that it starts with upcoming generations. So the people who do have herpes and have experience with herpes, we have more understanding and experience than the people who are talking about herpes. Um, The stigma itself is just a collection of opinions of people who either don't have herpes or don't know what it's like to have herpes. So I challenge us to speak up. I mean, there are several different people who are in this public space who are open about having herpes and they talk about herpes and that branches off in the STIs and sex education. And that's really what it stems from. It stems from a lack of comprehensive sexual sexual education, understanding about our bodies, understanding that condoms don't prevent STIs, they reduce the risk of STIs. So understanding how these things work and we have to be able to put a face, uh, put an experience to a person who's living with herpes. I think that we all know someone who has an incurable STI. We just don't know it because they may not feel comfortable speaking up about it. So when we're at a space where my story is able to reach a younger generation and I'm finding that the upcoming generations are becoming way more vocal and vulnerable and being more transparent about their experiences and everything, like they don't want the bullshit. So in cutting through the bullshit and giving them the tools that they need in order to navigate this prior to them needing it will create a space where 
You know, it's almost like now you can't, you shouldn't make fun of a gay person. Now this is something that as a straight person, I know that I have people around me who are part of the LGBT community. If I hear someone make a gay joke, I'm going to be like, hey man, it's not cool. People who are living with STIs don't have that support because we choose not to open up to our support systems and allow them to be allies to our experiences and be able to stand up for us and be like, hey, that's not cool. Like herpes is something that makes people go into depression or want to kill themselves. So stop making fucking herpes jokes. So we just need that support. And the only way to get it is if we put ourselves out there in order to receive it. Yeah, well, and, and I guess, you know, we, we appreciate the resource that you've created to give people that platform to do it. And I think that's another place that it, it really starts with is people being able to, to tell their stories. And yeah, one, one other question I had, if you don't mind, is the around the dating positives versus just, I don't want to say normal dating, but dating in, you know, the Tinder and Bumble and the OkCupid world, which is... I guess people hearing that you that there are these sites makes I don't know do, does it feel like that's where you should be right if if I get diagnosed this is where I have to be if I want to meet other people I'm I'm not allowed to be on OkCupid or Tinder anymore but I guess what has your experience been in meeting people across all platforms so I'll say this I want to make sure that this is clearly stated this is an option not the option um, I mentioned earlier how a herpes diagnosis makes you look at the herpes and then all this other stuff comes up along the way I yeah. believe that that's the same thing in regards to dating as well um, when you go into a space of dating anyone it's really good for you to know yourself you know what your intentions are you know what you're looking for be it something casual be it a kinky relationship or if you want something long term you want kids don't want kids political beliefs all of these things are important on the main dating sites i will say where's the conversation about sci status are we i mean is this something that's just to be expected or what and with the sites like datingpositives.com i mean that is right there not to solely make it about sex or sexual health but i think that it does provide a level of comfort for people who are working their way up through the negative emotions of a diagnosis of being like isolated and thinking that they can't go back out into the dating world they have like a a doorway for it so you can get out there and i've talked to people who've said you know dating with herpes even with access to these sites and communities it's just like dating <laughs> because you can have the same sci and someone can be a complete asshole and incompatible with you altogether people still ghost nothing's different except there's that piece of you that lingers on a Tinder or Bumble or an OkCupid of like, ah, when do I disclose? How do I disclose? Am I really being myself? That isn't there when you're on a site where that's not an issue, such as datingpositives.com. So for dating for me, it was being able to be myself. I had people tell me I was funny <laughs> and I hadn't heard that before um, because I, I, I've taken myself so seriously. I felt like I needed to create this image of perfection about myself because I have herpes. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm so perfect in every other way, then yeah. when I tell them I have herpes, this won't be an issue, right? That makes sense. And yeah. It was just not, it wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. And 
having that freedom to express myself without those thoughts weighing me down, I was called funny. And that was something that I had just not heard before. So I began to really like myself more and more and more as I began to just express and engage. And if you're not careful, it can almost become addicting because you'll stay in this space where you're comfortable, but you have to kind of you, you have to step out of your comfort zone. So I started out dating there, like on the, on the, on, uh, only in the online communities and then began to branch out into the real world. And then I began to tell friends like, Hey, you know, they'll call me out for being different or not myself whenever we go out or something. And eventually I just caved and I started to tell my friends, Hey, listen, I got, this is why I'm weird around girls. Yeah, that girl wants to talk to me, but I don't want to have to tell her I have herpes. And I was just met with so much love beyond the initial shock, of course. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Well, I know someone who has herpes or tell me about that. Like, damn, dude, why do you feel like you couldn't tell me that? These were the kinds of responses that I received from my support system. But given the stigma and what we see in the media about other people with herpes, we expect to be met with such negativity, judgment, isolation, and people just not wanting to be involved with us at all. But that wasn't the case at all. And I felt so much more supported because I, in my head, like created this personality (laughs) that was only supposed to be online, but it turns out that was actually me. So I was able to bring that piece of me that got comfortable on dating sites, uh, uh, into other dating sites. I mean, uh, and then out into the real world. And then I just began to really like myself more. So with the understanding of that being my path through, I began to understand that, um, I can just, I can just be myself. It's okay to be myself and disclosing my STI status. Well, now I have a podcast. I just direct people to the nonprofit. It's like, oh yeah, this is what I do because I have herpes. I think that being able to say that in front of, oh, because I have herpes kind of creates this cushion (laughs) of, uh, because I mean, it's, it's cool. It's cool that I get to have these kinds of conversations with other people who are living with herpes. And when you have it something like this position in such a way and it's like, oh, he's helping people or he's doing something for people. You like build yourself up again, creating these layers of a cool personality or whatnot. And then you tell him I have herpes. I think that it makes him a, oh, well, that's really cool that you're doing that. And then the herpes really doesn't become relevant. But then if it's like, um, let's take it to the opposite end of the spectrum. Let's say you're someone who's more reserved and you're shy and you're quiet. There's like a suspicion of why is this person awkward or weird or creepy to me? What what are the vibes that I'm getting? And then you're like, I I have herpes. Like that, again, just goes back to how you feel about it. Right. Yes, I kind of... Um, I don't know if you listen to Dan Savage or not, but he talks a little bit about when you're when you're telling somebody something, either whether it's a kink or something to this effect, like don't don't roll it out like it's a cancer diagnosis, right? Like you can tell people and and that's who you are, that's what it is. And and the the attitude that you project is gonna be reflected back to you, right? If you're if you're really down and out about it, that's probably how they're going to perceive it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we got to figure out how we feel about it. And then we have to begin healing that pro- that healing process through it. Right. Right. And so that, so that when you do tell people that you can be in a place where you're, where you are, right. Where you're, you're feeling good about who you are and everything. Right. And that's, 
so much easier said than done, right? That's that's really the hard work is to get to where you can tell people that. And yeah, obviously that it's especially easy for us to say, right? Having not had to necessarily go through that. So I'm not trying to prescribe that to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to also add to that going through this process of meeting people with the common ground being, all right, I have herpes and you also have herpes has put me in position to meet all kinds of different people from all kinds of different walks of life. And I think that it's opened up this portal to a newfound creativity when it comes to how to have sex, how to court someone, different relationship styles as well, because I've not known about kink i hadn't known about non-monogamy these were all things that i began to begin to explore after my diagnosis after coming into contact with people who i just normally wouldn't have dated or i would have sought after whatever the western standards are of beauty um in my experience and i began to look at people for who they were like you take more time you get to know people and that really gorgeous blonde that you're attracted to just might not have a great personality and that person that you might think oh well if their hair was different or something like that that you anything that you would have normally looked at that way that begins to become irrelevant and you start to see people a different way you start to see them for who they are and being able to walk in the space and be yourself also attracts more people who are like that as well so you kind of you really do just cut through the bullshit and you begin to get to know people and you're more empathetic and understanding of their different kinds of lifestyles and you can genuinely be curious and interested and be able to have more of like a energetic exchange than is a superficial exchange because you're kind of cutting out the small talk and the bullshit basically yeah i can't tell you the last time i asked someone oh how's the weather (laughs) like i don't even i don't have those kinds of conversations anymore yeah. yeah. Well, you get to meet or know somebody so much faster when you cut out that and, and you just dive into the more meaningful stuff. And um, even if that relationship doesn't go anywhere, you know, you still have that friendship and that connection. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm still friends with people I've met on the dating sites. Um, I actually just connected with someone. I, she didn't know that I had herpes at that point in time. We never met in person, but we just kept in touch and come to find out she ended up contracting herpes. And she told me after she found out that I was doing this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's uh, all very encouraging to hear, right. That, that you're, you're just reinforcing everything that, that we kind of already knew, which is like this, this diagnosis was the start of something, although at the onset wasn't great news, it has really been something that was transformative for you over the past few years. And really where you are today is probably a better place than you were before. Right. I mean, it's, I cannot imagine how I would be right now had it not been for the experiences that I had after my herpes diagnosis. I don't want to give my herpes diagnosis the credit for everything that's (laughs) happened up until now, but I will say it's definitely played a major role in just redirecting where I was headed because, like I said, I worked in media and I probably would still have worked in media, but there was just like this, this pull to do something that was more useful and meaningful. If I hadn't had herpes, I probably would still have that pull, but I wouldn't really know what direction to take it in. So 
it's it's been helpful. And I mean, we have the power in our minds to reframe any kind of an event to work for us in the way that we choose for it to. Yeah. And it's just been a matter of like rediscovering that you can make choices. Um, right. I can yeah. choose to be a victim of my positive status or I can choose to be a victor of my positive status. Yeah. And what's made it really easy is just making it about other people. I mean, there were people who, like I said, were depressed or wanted to commit suicide after their diagnosis and they didn't have any resources like this available. And when you finally find them, you find them all. So my overall goal is to just make something positive for positive people, something that is easy to find so that people can then begin to connect to the resources that they need. Maybe you do need a dating site. Maybe you do need a social support group. Maybe you just need access to more relevant, accurate, consistent information, or maybe you just need to vent. <laughs> maybe yeah, you just need yeah. a friend. So that's and all we- of that with removing the judgment, right? Removing the judgment, and the stigma and creating that community and resources for people that have that they can have that outlet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Awesome. And, and yeah, thank you for, again, for creating that. And, and if, if you don't have anything else major that you wanted to to say or get out there, we can maybe we can leave it there and or or we'll give you the platform here to to kind of any closing thoughts that you want to share. Well, I have a lot that I can say. And like I said, if I start talking, I won't stop. <laughs> no uh, real guidance. Um I do want to let everyone know. I mean, if you are someone who is not living with HSV, herpes simplex virus, you probably know someone who does. If you have five other friends and none of them have herpes, it's probably you, uh, statistically speaking, from a very, very general standpoint. But that's just how common this is. And so when we consider making these jokes or when we consider using stigmatizing language against really any community of people, we all have to take into consideration that we have a loved one who may be experiencing that and they just don't feel supported enough or safe enough to open up to us and let us know that that's what they're struggling with, that's what they're challenged with or what they're navigating on their own. Like I said, I want something positive for positive people to just be sort of a lighthouse for people to find their way to all of these other resources that are available out there because there are a ton. You can visit www.spfpp.org in order to begin listening to the podcast. You can surf through the website and begin to find access to communities that are near you, support groups, online resources of people who may share a similar lifestyle or may look like you, who you just feel more connected to in order to have some sort of an exchange with. What we're doing with Something Positive for Positive People, the big long-term goal is to be able to have these resources accessible to people immediately after their diagnosis. Perfect world, we all have access to it as a sex education tool. There may be episodes that teachers, sex educators are able to reference whenever they're instructing their uh, adolescents in schools. Right now, what I do is uplift sex educators, interview people who are living with STIs and uh, other people who are relevant in the space of being able to talk through the science and statistics about sexual health and 
in addition to that, like, I'm just, I want to help support the people who need it. So mm-hmm. anyone who's struggling with the diagnosis and needs these resources, like I'm, I'm here, I'm accessible right now. It's just me. So if you send an email to Courtney at SPFPP.org, I'm who you're going to get. And, um, I'd like to be able to raise the kind of money that allows for me to be able to safely um, get people to a therapist, like someone who is able to help them navigate their diagnosis and all of the other things that are piled up underneath that. Because I do believe that an SCI diagnosis, the way that we respond to the stigma is a mental health issue. So mm-hmm. I want to be able to support therapists and being able to provide that level of service to the people who need it the most. Yeah. And I think that through this platform, I'm able to make the connections and put together the kinds of resources to do so. And I really thank and appreciate you all for making the space on your platform to be able to talk about this. Sexual health itself is just something that gets neglected in the mainstream media. Like I was watching Wonder Woman the other day and I watch it a lot differently now. This woman who grew up on an island full of women comes to wherever they were at. I think they were in, uh, I forget where they were, but she meets this man for the first time and they go and they start kissing, clothes come off, lights go off. There was no conversation about consent. There were no condoms. There was no conversation about birth control or pregnancy. And we completely just like all of that falls under the sexual health umbrella. And there's just not enough of that. I mean, yeah, it's probably not cool, but I mean, even just flashing a condom or something would have been nice. So I want to be able to bring up this kind of stuff. Yeah. And we can do that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for doing the amazing work you do and um, for being willing to come on and share a little bit about your background and your story because we truly believe, just like you, like the more people that we can spread the word to and um, get, just find help and give resources to, the better, right? Because it should be part of the normal converse, everyday conversation. It shouldn't be the stigmatized as much as it is. Yeah. And, and also just want to make sure people know that links for everything that you just mentioned are going to be in show notes, easily accessible, so they don't have to remember all of the the web addresses and emails you just read out. And, and your website is on our resources page already for people. So thank you again for creating that. And we will, until we can do it again, we will let you get on with your day. Thank you. Welcome back. <laughs> this isn't my normal job. I don't I usually welcome people back. <laughs> I thought we should change it up. Well, thank you, Courtney, for taking the time out of your day to sit in your closet. Nobody knew that <laughs> other than us sit, sitting in the closet. Yeah, he was in a, his closet. I think maybe I'm like on a laundry hamper. <laughs> so thank you for taking the time out of your day to do that. We really appreciate it. And we seriously appreciate all the work you're doing. Again, everybody who's listening, he's got a kick-ass nonprofit. Find a way to support him if you can. We appreciate it. And we know he would as well. Links to everything in our show notes on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Next Friday, we have episode five of Focus Fridays, which will be on consent and communication. And we have our guests, Ginger and Ryan from the Life on the Swing Set podcast who will join us. And and the Intellectual Foreplay 
podcast. They yes. Two podcasts. Me too. <laughs> and Finn messes up the name of that uh, one. Bullshit. Colin bullshit. <laughs> You'll have to come tune in next Friday to hear hear that story. And we will see you then for a super fun Focus Friday. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Did you hear all them Fs? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>